Hello, this is Brian Croft. I'm the senior pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And I'm also the founder of Practical Shepherding. A few years ago, I started a blog about the daily work of a pastor, and that blog has grown into the various ministries of Practical Shepherding. We want to come alongside pastors who are laboring in the trenches of pastoral ministry to encourage and to equip them. And that's why we started this podcast, Trench Talk. So we hope this podcast encourages you and your church as we continue our conversation about the pastor's work. To find out more about Practical Shepherding, visit our website at practicalshepherding.com or you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to Trench Talk. This is the podcast of Practical Shepherding. I'm your host, Brian Croft. I'm hosting because I'm on location in Omaha, Nebraska. I was earlier within Fremont, Nebraska, uh, talking to Kyle McClellan, and now I'm here with Eric Raymond, who is pastor of the Emmaus Bible Church here in Omaha, Nebraska. And, uh, and Kyle McClellan has graciously brought me here, so he is here as, as a contributor to this podcast because we want to want to talk to Eric about a little bit about life and ministry and, and writing. Uh, Eric is not only a pastor of Emmaus uh, Bible Church, but he also blogs uh, Ordinary Pastor is his blog, and it's now in the Together for the Gospel, or excuse me, Together for the Gospel, TGC, the Gospel Coalition um, website, and he's connected with the bloggers there. And Eric's become a friend and um, somebody that I've learned from and appreciated his ministry a lot, and so my hope is that you'll be able to learn from him as we just ask him a few questions. So, Eric, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us during this. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. And Kyle, it's always good to have you. I think Mark Dever just disowned you for confusing, conflating the Gospel Coalition together for the Gospel. Maybe so, but I think you'll be okay. So He's supportive of both, so that's good. Um, Eric, tell us us a little bit about just your your call into the ministry and how you ended up. You planted Emmaus Bible Church, correct? And, and, And then just what ministry has been like for you. Yeah, that's right. I planted Emmaus Bible Church in 2011, so just backtrack quickly uh mid 90s uh joined the air force right out of high school and was an unbeliever uh went to catholic church growing up but really functionally an atheist it was more of a a nationality almost rather than a, a religion uh so left joined the military and found myself um you know newly married and beginning to wrestle with kind of big boy issues for the first time in my life, uh, some not even 20 years old, and uh, really went through a strong season of guilt, depression, and confusion, frankly, and uh, didn't really know how to answer any of those things. And uh, my wife, being a Southerner, um, who was not a Christian, she just said to me, you better get right with God, which I didn't even know what that meant. Mm-hmm. But uh, I knew there was a guy at work that carried a Bible around all the time, so I went and asked him. I said, uh, you need to tell me about your God. This guy, faithful guy, I mean, it could have been anybody, but in the Lord's province, a good Baptist guy, had a Bible in his pocket, opened it up, and walked me through Romans, answered every question I had, which were ridiculous questions he graciously endured. and. And let me do the Lord. And uh, I think I want to, he, he asked me to pray a prayer, I remember. And, and I told him, I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I just need to think about this. But I just remember walking out of there saying, if this is true, this is who Jesus is, then what can I do but follow him? Mm-hmm. You know? And so it was at that point, shortly prior that afternoon, became a Christian. Come home and tell my wife, and I think you're reading the Bible. You got to buy a Bible. I'm going to start reading it. And, 
running around telling everyone you, you, you love Christ and this is who he is and people give me looks and I have no idea why all of a sudden they think you're crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was that became immediately became the desire of my heart was to read the Bible and, and tell people about Christ. And that over time kind of just developed and morphed into um, a desire for ministry. I think some friends helped me to see that. Um, just letting me know that they thought that would be a good a good thing for me to do. Uh, seemed like a gift set that I would have. And I found myself at a church, Omaha Bible Church here in Omaha. And uh, after tugging on preachers' suits every week, you know, hey, can you give me a lunch meeting? Can you give me a book to read? Can you tell me what I should do? Nobody give you the time of the day at these, these big churches. And I was at this uh, church from a TMS grad, Pat Ebendroth, was there. And I walked in, and I, and I just said, hey, here's my deal. Uh, I, I think I should be a pastor. I don't even know anything. And he said, well, we train them to preach around here, and I can help you. Hmm. And so I remember after the evening service, he literally, literally threw a book at me. And I said, what, what are you that? And he said, read it. And write me a short review. So I read the book, got back to him, and I didn't tell him it was the first book I read in my life. So I give the, the book. What was the book? What was the book? It was actually doing God's business God's way by George Zemeck, huh. uh, and and it was just it had all the theological categories in it that, that I, I needed to hear. And I went back and I gave I gave the book back. He said, "No, it's yours." Hmm. And I was like, "Okay, I see how this is going to work." After Sunday night, I come see you. You give me a book and I write a paper. You give me another book. And he did for a while, and eventually he said, listen, you need to stop buying your own books. <laughs> uh, so, and, that just, and then that turned into an internship. And then fast-forwarding ahead, their elders put me on an internship where they, they wanted me to read what, 77 books in three years, you know, just reading these books and writing reviews, serving in ministry, and I did that. And mm-hmm. at the end of the three years, I thought I should go to seminary, and they, they actually hired me. Mm-hmm. I said, they've been praying about that for six or ten months. They hired me. I went on staff there and uh, was helping out doing, you know, leading some, some small groups and kind of working on ministry efficiency, figuring out if I should be preaching or not preaching, doing some counseling, uh, just kind of getting my bearings. So I went to a full-time pastor at that. And that was in 05. Okay. So, so where did you figure out how to write a book review? Because Brian and I have been talking and we really appreciate the way that you review a book. So here's a guy who... This is the first book you've ever read, and now, I, for my money, I mean, you're one of the best, most concise reviewers of books in in the blogosphere, whatever. Out on the interwebs, man, you're 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 really good at reviewing books. How'd you develop? Was there did they have a template for that? How did you figure that out? Yeah, I don't. Because well, there are seminary students who can't review books. Well, I, it's kind of you. Cause, I mean, as far as what you said about me and about the other guys, but. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think um, I had to keep it short. A lot of the time, I mean, I was working at that time, so I, was trying, I only had so much time, so I'd write it mm-hmm. up. And I wasn't trying to tell Pat or anybody else about all the details of the book. I'd rather wrestle with how the book impacts me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just try to save the paper, write what the book says, and how I think the strengths and the weaknesses and, and how it impacted me. So just try to keep that quick. People don't have a lot of time. They just want to figure out if it's a good book and if it's helpful. Well, Eric, my background is similar to yours in that, you know, I didn't go to seminary, but I had somebody who just fed me tons of books mm-hmm. and say, these are the right books to read, yeah. read these. And I found myself, because I was reading out of just hunger to want to learn it, mm-hmm. they didn't have anything else but to just want to learn these things. 
there was an attentiveness, even a retention that came that I found didn't exist for me when I was in school, like kind of reading yeah. for a grade. Did you find just as you're hungry, just trying to figure this out and yeah. uh, trying to sort through things, that was a part of just your attention, your ability to think through it? Absolutely. I mean, suddenly these guys are my friends. Right? Yeah. So if I read one of your books uh, that you've written, I've lost count now. Uh, but each one that comes, I feel like we're having coffee and you're you're breaking it down. You're teaching me. You've done the whiteboard work and now you put it on paper and I get to read it and benefit from it. So, uh, yeah, attentiveness. And part of that's the stewardship. Part of that's the respect of the author who took the time into work. And part of it's the, the stewardship before the Lord and what mm-hmm. I need to do for the congregation. It's great. So you were you, you were associate in the yeah. Omaha Bible Church, and then how did you end up planting a mass Bible church here? Yeah. So they the elders there told me after you know relatively you know maybe a year or two in, they said uh, we think you're uh, gifted to preach and you probably should do that long term rather than here. We love what you're doing, uh, but we're we're not. I remember one elder of the specific said we're not here to stockpile preachers. Uh, so we want to turn to this, and so we need you to either find a place or plant a church. Mm-hmm. And so about a year after that, they they came to me with the proposal to plant a church uh, about 20 miles south of where they meet, and that's what we did. So we had a core group of people. We initially were campus, and then it became a church plant in 2011, mm-hmm. the Mass Church. And then you all bought the building we're even sitting in yeah. right now. And uh, can you can you talk a little bit about just um, what kind of core group did you start with and then where your growth went? Because it's about five years old now, I guess, right now. Yeah, so it would be, well, it'll be four years in September. Okay, four. Yeah, so, yeah, we did, so we're in a military community. Uh, in Omaha, is a, strangely, is a, is a rather transient city. A lot of people come from other places, stay for a while, and go get another job. Uh, so a large part of our congregation is actually uh, people coming from outside. Now there's mm-hmm. more and more, thankfully, uh, local local folks. Um but yeah, we, so we started, we had a good group, probably close to 100 people, and then after about two or three years, uh, probably a third of those were military, that active duty, that moved on, we had some other people move on to other churches, and then just probably within the last year, we've had a significant turnover, uh, a lot of people moving, timing-wise, and some other people moving on to other churches, so now we would actually have about a handful of the folks that we started with, hmm. um, and in God's providence, that's what we... Uh, that's where we are right now. So if you're listening to this and you're aspiring to want to plant a church, I'm I'm sitting with two faithful men, both who have planted churches in the last five years, and but their churches went about things very differently. So Kyle's church has started with just a small group and has just gradually grown to the place that they're at that I saw Sunday. Then you have Eric talking about a church that started with a good-sized group and grew fast. But then you said in the last year, just from some the transitness of yep. military, it's it's settled. So just to remember to not have in your in your mind a certain thing that you're expecting that you maybe saw in this church or that church, it's it's going to show up differently, and it's going to be obviously in the Lord's time and That's in right. plans. Definitely. Yeah. What kind of counsel would you give a guy who's looking to plant a church um, in the same way, you know, in a similar way you have? What would you tell him if he's about ready to start that, hmm. and what he should expect in the first five years? Yeah, so I mean, we live in the microwave culture. I mean, everyone wants everything real fast, real quick, and I mean, ministry-wise, it just simply cannot be that. It isn't that way. And you might get. Yeah, I mean, we had tremendous growth initially, uh, and then things did, in fact, uh, taper off. So instead of microwaving, uh, I would think more like a smoker. It's going to take time, smoke it, and, and let it go, and enjoy it uh, as you go. And, and with that, don't go. Uh, real high, I mean, so you have a big attendance and somebody gets converted and 
God wants to be an elder and you're flying up through the roof. So excited. You should be excited, but not ridiculously so like you did. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, you, you lose a few deacons, some leaders go, somebody says something about you. Uh, you, you, you that should hurt, mm -hmm. but it shouldn't drive you to, to the sewer. Mm -hmm. uh, so an appropriate balance and understanding of God's providence, like the Heidelberg Catechism talks about, that providence is as if it comes from his very hand. Mm -hmm. So everything comes from God. Uh, so going into ministry, realizing that everything does come from God, the, the quote-unquote good and the quote-unquote bad, all work together for his good, for our good and his glory. Embrace that on the front end, and you can, you can really take anything. I mean, it's going to be hard, it's going to be exercises in pride, but um, trusting in the Lord, I mean, at the end of the day, that's the bottom line. And the other thing I would say, just briefly, would be don't don't outthink yourself. Uh, we make things yeah. incredibly difficult. Uh, if, if you talk to a professional athlete that's getting ready, football season's coming up, what do you work on? Blocking and tackling. You know what? Yeah, I don't care if you're one year in the ministry, 25 years in the ministry, wherever you are, what do you need to do? You need to handle the basics for coming. It's the word, prayer, your own heart, discipleship, preaching, shepherding, caring for people. It's, it's, it's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's never, you're never going to have run it. That should be tremendously encouraging and convicting at the same time. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I would just say, I would echo what he said about being a smoker and not a microwave. Mm -hmm. One of the advantages that we had is in Fremont, because we're an agrarian county seat town, we don't do anything fast. I mean, there's nothing that happens fast in our city. And so the one thing I would tell church planners, it doesn't matter your context, what Eric has said is exactly right. You need to be in it for the long haul, and you need to understand that growth, even when it comes quickly, you have to have a sort of long-term view to what's, to what's mm -hmm. going on. Uh, the, the only thing I would add to what he said is, you do have to keep track of the basics. One of the best pieces of advice we ever got is the most important word you learn when you plan a church is no. That you cannot, as a church, because people come, in the microwave culture, people come and they want you to be sort of the full service provider of religious goods and services, right? They, they want to have the whole range of stuff. And you just can't. I mean, there's just no way possible for you to do all the stuff, for example, here at Omaha. You can't do all the stuff that Westside is doing. You can't do all the stuff that King of Kings is doing here at Christ Community. You just can't. But you can do Word and Sacrament. And you can be about sharing the good news. You can be about seeing the gospel planted in your community. And it's going to look really different. And your people just need to know that on the front end. And so you need to learn to say, no, and it's a really key, really crucial thing that I think a lot of guys think when they go in, I want all the bells and whistles, and I want it now. Mm. And you really need to be kind of a simple church piece. Now, do what you do really well, but just understand you're you're you're, you're not going to have all the bells and whistles. Yeah, that's really helpful because what you're actually saying there along those lines is that you're helping people to understand what expectations should look like, right. not only for the congregation but also right. the pastor. You know what good growth looks like because it's gospel growth, it's maturity. Yeah. And it also sets you up then because later on, two, at year two or year three, presuming the thing works, they're going to want to know, well, why aren't we doing, we understood when there was 20 of us, now that there's 100 of us, why aren't we doing these things? Mm -hmm. Well, it was never about those things. It's always been about what we're doing. And that's usually when the light, either, one of two things happens, they either go, oh, you're right. right. This this has been really good and really helpful, and the Lord's been using this. Or they kind of go, oh, huh, okay. And they either find ways to kind of meet some of those needs, 
like their kids go to youth group somewhere else, or they do some kind, you know, they do some kind of Wednesday night children's thing somewhere else, or um, they just they just leave them. Yeah. Eric, and, and that's okay. No. Them leaving is okay. I and mean, that's another thing that church planners get wrapped up about is, you know, it's like my salvation rests on how many people showed up and trying to get the back door sort of locked down. Well, it's, it's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eric, one of the things I've found um, that you've been really thoughtful about that I've appreciated is how you tried to think through now helping guys in your own congregation, you know, raising men up, trying to help them identify their calling in ministry. Uh, pursuing uh, being a pastor. Can you talk a little bit about how you all try to, at Mace Bible Church, identify men for ministry, train them, and then ultimately affirm and send them out? Yeah, that's a great question. So we actually wrestled through that question at the foundational level of what, what is a calling. So reading a number of books on that and, and talking about it as, as elders. So of course your book, uh, Equip Them to Shepherd, that was, a, that was really helpful. Uh, I think it's Harvey's book, Am I Called? Am I Called? Yeah, mm-hmm. that was a helpful resource. Uh, Jeremy Lynn's book on eldership. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Clowney's book on uh, the call to ministry. Those yeah. are just some, some really good resources. Yeah. Uh, and then Nine Marks, I would just canvas that because there's a number of articles on the site that are really helpful. Mm-hmm. So we as elders had to figure out what that meant as calling. And mm-hmm. really sync up on that so that we could try to cultivate a culture that truly understood what that means. And I think we're working on that. Again, the church is different than it was a year ago, so we have a, a whole group of people uh, in there that are asking some of those questions. So we've seen a number of guys go to seminary, and we have other guys here that have done uh, a residency program here, and then we have more people we're even tweaking that. So that has been more of a, in the last year, reading books, meeting the pastors, leading ministry. Those are self-identified guys that we were looking at kind of in the Charleston divine perspective and the books worth watching. Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking and, and seeing it uh, and then you spend some time with those guys. We actually have women as well, not for the pastorate, but for uh, general ministry, equipping and counseling and discipleship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for this next year, we got some guys that are looking at, you know, potentially wanting to be an elder or go to seminary and spend more time doing that. So it's 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 more of more time reading books, time together uh, for me as a pastor, dispatching them out to, to do visitation or to do counseling or discipleship or work mm-hmm. on this year. Uh, so really, if if a guy is talking to me. Asking theological questions, if he shows an unusual, unusual, that's a, like, like, not a normal uh, perceptiveness on shepherding, and he just seems to care about people and notice when they're not around, mm-hmm. uh, wrestles with theological questions, asks me questions, overflowing with just stuff he reads in the Bible, maybe talking to people about Christ and then just letting you know about it, you know, just you don't mm-hmm. see that stuff on a regular basis. Right. Uh, you should. But you notice it when you see it. Those guys are guys you want to spend some time with and ask. And, and I, you know, taking uh, Mark Dever's advice on, on one of the points that he said on, on one of the articles, just asking the question, what would prevent you from being an elder? Mm-hmm. And that causes the guy to have to think through the qualifications of what it means to be an elder. And if they mm-hmm. don't know, then you can help them. And then they have to wrestle through that. Then they esteem the office a bit higher. And then perhaps think about it. And it might ignite something in there in terms of a desire or something to pursue. So we've seen that. I've heard guys just looking at me like, you're crazy. Other guys say, well, I've been praying about that. What mm-hmm. can you do to help me to get there? And yeah. Then we have them talk with their wife and we meet with them. And maybe it's a time we set aside uh, extra study. And maybe it might be something they say, maybe in a couple of years, this would be something here. So let me help you get down that road. So what made you so reckless? to start doing this 
with such a young church like you're you're not where you want to be as a church you know so I mean I'm being sarcastic in a way because some would perceive it as being reckless to try to raise guys up when your church is just starting you're not established like you want to be but you know why would you try to raise leaders up so early in your church life and not wait for you get a little more you know further down the road as a church so I mean it's it's right out of the Bible in one standpoint right so it's Great Commission, that's what we're called to do, uh, make and train disciples. It's right in Jesus' commission to the church. You see Apostle Paul gets that, First Timothy 2-2, uh, or Second Timothy 2-2, to, to, to find faithful men and equip them and train them. It seems like a model of ministry. And then just logically, if you don't do this, I mean, you, you've got to come to a grinding halt. I mean, mm-hmm. just, you don't have to be brilliant to see that if, if somebody doesn't continue on. I just preach Judges 4 on Sunday. What's the problem? I mean, they're not passing this thing on. I mean, it, go, it dies with the generation, and you see the, the, the havoc that happens. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, I guess it is kind of with the second, but pragmatically, I mean, I want a culture of discipleship in the church, because I mm-hmm. think that's biblical. The tendency for pastors is to go to, to all the new people and spend all the time with them, or to run on the people that seem like they're wandering sheep and they're out there, and you find yourself and your elder board just spread to the to the to the corners of the field, meanwhile, mm-hmm. the middle of the field, <laughs> you're vulnerable there. And what you need to do, I think, is, is spending the time with the guys, reinforce the core, develop the core, build in the core of those guys, particularly in their families, so that they'll be strengthened, because then they're, they're leaders, and they can help you with the fringe. If you spend all your time on your exterior and the modules, you're going to get eaten up. Yeah, I look back, and the my first few intern classes early in the early years of our church where it was really hard and our church was a mess mm-hmm. actually ended up being the best time to be an intern in our church. Yeah. Those guys learned how to do real hard ministry. But now I just have to tell the stories of those years with my interns now. Yeah. Uh, but but the early years, I'm convinced, and you have modeled that well by jumping in and full throttle and trying to train guys and help them even in these early years of the church and even as you walk through it. Yeah. A hard season, too. I think it's interesting, too. That's something that you yourself receive, right? I mean, you went to a place where, as Pat said, well, training preachers is what we do. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting, if you come out of that model, you just naturally think that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, a friend of ours, Paul House, was, was my mentor, and Paul was always investing himself in younger guys. Why? Because that's just what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. That's what the Bible told you. Yeah. yeah. You're supposed to be raising, raising it up and training and entrusting it to faithful men. And then they're going to, they're going to pass it on, mm. and that can be really formal, mm. or it can be even more informal. But it's got to, it's got to be done. Yeah. Eric, let me shift gears for a minute to, to writing. Okay, and uh, your blog, uh, Ordinary Pastor, which is with uh, the Gospel Coalition now. Uh, would you talk to us about how the blog started? Why why do you write it? And and you even want to tell us about the transition that you made recently to kind of partner with the Gospel Coalition. Yeah, sure. So as far as the way the blog started, um, I became a, a full-time ministry in 2005, and I remember probably six months in, sitting down with uh, senior pastor Pat there, and he said, he said, hey, you know, I've noticed a, a number of good things uh, that uh, are worth noting. Uh, you, you're passionate, you do your work, uh, people respond. I noticed some other things, too, that sometimes when you're talking and what you're saying isn't... Uh, well, you know, uh, more heat than light type stuff, you know, and uh, it's, you could you could probably work on that, and you would benefit you. And then he said, you know, but the other side is I've noticed when you write, it's really clear and concise and helpful. And so 
my advice to you, you know, like they say, write yourself clear. You know, mm-hmm. maybe spend some time writing things out, and uh, it might help you in preaching, in teaching. And because I thought, you know, you're supposed to be like you can just you stand up and you go and talk. It really helped me. So what I was doing is just writing some, some little articles for the church here and there. And then when he said that, uh, that was in 2005. And if you remember back, the blogosphere, I think at least the Christian reform blogosphere was just beginning to rumble. Richard Chavez had a blog, and Justin Taylor, and some others. Uh, so I did. I just started a little WordPress blog, and my whole point on that was just to uh, take what I was teaching, you know, discipleship with one guy, and just replicate it. Mm-hmm. So I can get more people out of that Tuesday morning coffee can read this. So I just let some friends know, and they read it. Uh, and in that blog, Irish Calvinist, I'm Irish and Calvinist, and it was just a, a fun name because I would never name anything like that. that I think anybody outside of my friends would read. Uh, Nobody was about to steal the title yeah, from you. Well, you know, this is my, my grandmother was Polish. The other side, I said, well, "Why'd you name it that?" She's like offended, and I said, "Well, you know, Polish sausage, you know, it'd be like we didn't know that." So anyway, uh, so it just was it was doing it, and it got some traction. I don't know what ended up happening. And one, I think, what ended up being a big thing was um, Tim Chalice started referencing it, and uh, as we know, a guy like that, just a very famous blog, uh, more people began reading it. And so the, the overtime the blog, so that was 2005, 06, something like mm-hmm. that, and it went. A uh, number of years, it's been great. I, I mean, I, I, the same reason, you know, I spend time writing, devotional, it's more for me than anyone else, and, uh, and then it benefits others, and it does that. So as far as moving on to TGC, uh, yeah, that was just, you know, friends with those guys, and it was an opportunity. I worked on a couple projects with them. I've been writing for them, you know, submitting articles. They asked me to write something, and I send them in, and I think they're just trying to effort to build their, their um, their blog component of the site. Mm-hmm. Uh, we certainly had conversations working on some projects together that seemed like a good time to mm-hmm. fit. And so uh, moving over there, it's great. It doesn't change what I do, I'm still doing the same stuff. Okay. Um, writing-wise, it's just normal things and it's actually what they're looking for on their site. So it's a good fit. It's good. What Now, the title Ordinary Pastor, what's, what's behind all that? Because I, I, one reason I have to, I appreciate what you do. I think that title actually fits well. Uh, I think one of the things I'm finding is I'm working with truly ordinary pastors, guys that are grinding away in obscurity, a lot of them, um, who really are ordinary pastors just plugging away, get kind of insulted when guys who are clearly uh, well-known, almost fall into that celebrity pastor category, you're trying to kind of take on an ordinary pastor category. And, and I mean, let's, let's be honest, they're really not. But you seem right to try to reach that particular pastor and where he's at. Can you speak a little bit about that? Sure. So one of my favorite authors and probably most, one of the most impactful men that's living today is Don Carson. And so he wrote that book on his dad, mm-hmm. Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor. Yeah, I think it's my favorite Carson book. Yeah. And so that impact, I, mean, I remember when he wrote it, it came, I, I ordered it early, it came in the mail, yeah. and I devoured it. Yeah, I think it's, it's a beautiful, it's just oh, a beautiful book. Isn't it? And so it just it just shredded me. I was going mm-hmm. you know, and I was thinking, man, what what a guy. I wish I could have known the guy. You know, there's just so much admirable about Tom Carson in mm-hmm. the book. And so I just thought, you know, I thought Irish Calvinists probably need to be retired, you know, for a few reasons. And I thought, you know, this sums it up. 
you know, this sums up what I'm trying to do. And it was it was less of a description and more of a goal. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to say, this, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be ordinary. And, and not in a kind of like authentic track voice, like, oh, I'm somebody different, you know, I'm trying to be ordinary. Everyone else mm -hmm. is unusual, you know, unusual. Uh, unusual. Uh, it, more, it was more, you know, hey, this is this is the easy, this is the walking path. Like, you know, preaching, okay. discipleship, shepherding, prayer, visiting, talking, that's mm -hmm. all I want to do. And, you know, and, it's, and it kind of marks it out for me. It's like, this is what it's about, man. You know, keep your eye on the ball and do the right thing. And so the ministry overflows out of that. And most of those articles, aside from book reviews, most of those are center points mm -hmm. that you just um, you call a little bit and, and then you do it. So it's what I'm giving to the congregation on the Sunday morning, by and large. About 75% of those articles are from a certain. That's good. Well, I, I, think too, I think it's way more helpful than the guys that are sort of reactionary. Right? So you're not you're not giving your two cents on this celebrity guy. You know, you didn't do a special series of posts on Driscoll or Tolian or any of those guys. Again, it's it's blocking, it's tackling, it's, this is the stuff we're supposed to be about. Yeah. Sure. Well, and if you're and if you're trying to reach the just the regular pastor, yeah. <clears throat> it's not that they. What I'm finding these guys who write me, they're it's not that they don't care about world events and even the controversies, but it, Monday morning they're trying to figure out how to clear the fog of what happened Sunday, yeah. and the stuff you're writing for them is I think particularly helpful in serving them well. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, to be honest, with you, I don't think I would do a good job on those other ones. I mean, I I just don't think I would be able to write it well. I wouldn't want to read me. Yeah. I mean, but the, the, the stuff that encourages my own heart and yeah. writing that, I, I have things I want to write the rest of this week. And yeah. to think through it in more depth and yeah. to think that that's going to bless somebody, that's great. Cool. Well, and to quote the late, great John McKay, there are some bloggers who make up for not blocking the complete lack of tackling. And so there, there are those guys. And they just, on some stuff, they're helpful. But I think at the end of the day, there is almost a kind of gossip component to some of it. You know, you are, you, you, I think it's a fine line between are you bearing false witness and is this guy you don't even know? Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. I, a couple quick things to wrap up. Um, you know, the first is that you, you know, we mentioned how well we, we think you're gifted to do book reviews. Do you enjoy doing book reviews and that's why you do them? Do you just do you do you realize that you have a good clear gift to do what needs to be done with those? What's behind all the book reviews that you do? Uh, well, it, it's personal in one sense, so it helps me to crystallize the thought there. So I often get asked questions in, in church life. Just what would you recommend on this, or uh, have you read this, or I noticed you read this book. Can you give it a little bit more depth? So it helps me to already have a couple paragraphs going. So mm -hmm. If I write it. In a blog, I can usually remember it, uh, pretty at least get close to, to something, get the main idea. Um, so it's personal in that way, but also I'm, I'm trying to serve the person that read the book review to say, would this be a good idea to, to read? I mean, publishers and authors, I mean, all due respect to them, there is some desire to sell the book. I don't have a desire to sell the book. Mm -hmm. So if it's helpful, I'm going to be honest, if it's unhelpful, I'm going to be honest, and I probably won't review it if it's only helpful for me personally. Yeah. I would just don't ever be rather than pair of the guy. Yeah. Uh, so if there's a couple of things that can be tweaked, uh, I'll mention it. So, yeah, it is enjoyable. Uh, it's beneficial to me. Uh, it's something of a hobby, and I like doing it. Great. Last question. Top five books, if you didn't pick three, that's fine, but most impactful, either on your Christian life 
or even pastoral ministry. Like, what just, I didn't preempt you with this, just what was, rushes your mind? Top three, four, five books of all time that have had the biggest impact on you. Number one, Glory of Christ by John Owen. Uh, number mm. one book, mm. uh, hands down. And it's distant to anything else. Mm. Just because the framework of on um, seeing the glory of Christ now through the eyes of faith and then the scriptures and then beholding him. I, I think that, mm. to me, is revolutionary. I don't um, understand. So, um, from there, um, well, there's a bit of a log jam. Um, and it's like picking your favorite hymn, isn't it? You just try yeah. to pick one. I think um, what impactful for me was Lorraine Bettner's book, The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination. Surprisingly, I mean, that he really helped me to understand and then going with that kind of to A and B was um, John Murray's Redemption Accomplished and Applied. Mm -hmm. It was just the whole framework of Accomplished and Applied. Mm -hmm. uh, it was really helpful. Cross of Christ by by that book was was revolutionary. Uh, just refining things on the gospel and understanding. Uh, Warfield's, I guess it's not a book, it's an article. But, you know, the big section on inerrancy, inspiration, yeah. and inerrancy, uh, really helpful for me. And what about one like pastoral ministry book? Yeah. So this year, well, you mentioned the tough time. I mean, I've read. I, I counted up the other day because one of my friends asked me how, how many books on pastoral ministry this year, and it's I'm embarrassed to say the number. It's quite a few. Yeah. Um, and there's there's really good ones depending on what you're 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 looking to do, uh, the training elders or the actual function of it. Right. I found myself uh, arguing with um, Beggs. Big and the other guy. Brian, yeah. on being a pastor. Yeah, but it was so good to, to argue with him. Yeah, it's book. good. I found my, my favorite book on pastoral ministry is William Stills. Oh, that great work. I really love yeah, that. Yeah, William Stills great. That, but then I would honorable mention, I would say that the book he did, uh, The Pastor's Ministry, with the journal on the front, like, mm -hmm. what is my job? Yeah. It's good because you just clear away the brush and say, listen, man, if you're not doing this, you're not doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So don't really worry about all those. I thought that was really helpful as well. All right, good. So yeah, you met the contract. You mentioned a practice every book at the yeah. end. So thank you, you know, for, for fulfilling that obligation now. Um, Eric, thank you for uh, taking the time. And I also just want to say thank you, just on behalf of practice shepherding, the uh, support and even um, counsel and wisdom you brought to the table for me as we had conversations. Uh, you've reviewed a lot of our books, but you've always been very helpful to to let people know about them. Uh, I, I know we're kindred spirits in the things we're trying to write and stuff. So I'm just grateful for you and for your ministry and, and uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. We're, we're being very affected by it. Right. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Let me pray for you and your ministry. Lord, thank you for Eric and thank you for this church that you have um, entrusted to Eric and the elders here. Bless them in their ministry. Give them wisdom to care, shepherd the people well, and preach your word. Lord, bless his writing ministry and thank you for the way you gifted him in that. The way that he uniquely writes to serve uh, regular pastors doing the hard work, trench work of pastoral ministry. Lord, continue to use him through that and that he would reach many because of the gift of the internet to be able to reach those we, we could not reach otherwise without it. Uh, bless his family and help him to rest well as, as some time off is coming up for him. And Lord, may him find uh, joy and hope in walking with Christ every day. And we pray this in his name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to Trench Talk. We'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you might have for us. So to get in touch with us, you can email us at brian at practicalshepherding.com or you can contact us through Facebook or Twitter. You can find out more about Practical Shepherding at our website. At the website, you can find our blog and you can also find information about articles and books that we've published. You can also find out information about our regional workshops where we engage pastors face-to-face to equip them for the trench work of ministry. Until next time, may the God of peace, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you as you labor in the trenches of pastoral ministry.